Good, Psalm 80. Hear us, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin and Manasseh. Awaken your might and come and save us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. O Lord God Almighty, how long will your anger smoulder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us a source of contention to our neighbours, and our enemies mock us. Restore us, O God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us, that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its boughs to the sea, its shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it, and the creatures of the field feed on it. Return to us, O God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down, it is burned with fire. At your rebuke your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us, O Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Here's a classic psalm on restoration. And please, um, I'd like the psalm to speak for itself. And for that reason, just keep your Bibles uh, open in front of you. The author is Asaph, and he was responsible for temple worship. And he does a very interesting thing, as we shall see in the course of, of this sermon. And it, it's, it's a great lesson to us, actually, in the way we use the Bible. He borrows a part, another part of the Bible from a different era, and he applies it to the situation in the temple worship. Just like Peter, on the day of Pentecost, borrowed from Joel, the prophet, and said, This is happening now. This is the word of the Lord for you today. Well, this is for us. Psalm 80. It's a fascinating, if you were to have a little exercise to see how many uh, metaphors are used in this psalm, it's quite extraordinary. And it's not an easy psalm to analyze, it's just best um, to let it speak for, for itself. So, Asaph is the author of Psalm 80. Central to his purpose is this, it's a prayer, 
which a prayer which is sung, we were singing this morning, the Lord's Prayer, uh, in the course of our uh, all-age service. Um, it's not simply to teach us to pray, though you look at verse 3, for example, there it is, restore us, O God, make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. That is a, it's a quite a comprehensive prayer in verse 3. He's not simply teaching us to pray as such. He's going beyond that. But to pray in a particular way. Of course, that was the problem with the disciples when they said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he gave an outline, which is what we call the Lord's Prayer. Now, this is, a, this is not so much an outline, but it's, um, it's to pray with metaphor. Uh, sometimes we say, I'm speaking metaphorically, I'm illustrating. Uh, that can be a bit convoluting sometimes. Hopefully it isn't tonight. For example, look at what you make of verses 4 to 6, for instance. This is the prayer. Look at this. O Lord God Almighty, how long will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? Well, that's easy to solve. Just stop praying. No, no, it's not as simple as that. And look at the, the illustration. It's quite horrific, really, when you think about it. You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. Now, that's massively exaggerated language. It's a lot of tears, a bowlful, isn't it? And, as a consequence, you have made us a source of contention to our neighbours, not the people living next door, but the people of the land. And our enemies treat us with cynicism, just like people today uh, treat the church with uh, such cynicism. But what the psalmist is wanting to do here is this, just two things. First of all, to develop in us the experience of faith. That's the whole point of verse 3. Restore us, O God, make your face shine upon us that we might be saved, that, we will, uh, that you will restore to us that which we've lost. So, to develop in us the experience of faith, and at the same time, secondly, to deepen in us the expectation of faith. Wouldn't we be surprised if our prayers were answered? And this idea of deepening within us the expectation of faith, look at, uh, for example, verse 14 to 15. Return to us, O God Almighty, Look down from heaven and see. And then he switches the analogy. First of all, it's a shepherd. Now, it's the vine dresser. Sheep. Now, it's the vine. Watch over this vine. Of course, if you know a little about the Old Testament, the vine was sim symbolic of Israel. The star of David is a symbol of God's people. So was the vine. So look at verse 15, the root your right hand has planted, and then immediately switches. It, is, what's he talking about? The vine or some, something else? The sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down, it is burnt, and so on and so forth. And, uh, yeah, verse 18, yes. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us that we may call on your name. 
that our prayers will resonate with authenticity. Can I use then, and this is full of illustrations, but it might help, um, that metaphorical speech, sorry about that, but speaking metaphorically is a little bit like cows chewing the cud, or if you are in this revolting habit of chewing, chewing them. Um, uh, it's to be chewed over. When Hannah's niece used to come out stay the weekend with us. She used to say when we were having, about to have a meal, just keep telling me to eat slowly. Because all week she's busy, uh, got little time to eat, and it, eating fast, a good meal becomes a habit, and it's gulped down. And it's a bad habit. And yet it's one that isn't intentional, it just happens. So what the psalmist is saying, look, slow down. Digest this. Enjoy it. Take your time over a meal. We've lost, sadly, the ability to converse uh, at meal tables. Some of our Lord's best conversations and interaction was like that. Slow down. Savor this. Think about it. Digest it. Chew it over. So then, when we're engaging with Scripture, too often we can allow ourselves to be far too quick or we can be too analytical. It's been rightly said. It's the paralysis of analysis. In other words, the brain can, can dominate. But here, these figures of speech call us to think a little bit more. So the psalmist does this. He uses metaphor in the same way that our Lord used parables. Beautifully illustrated uh, this morning with the children. Why? Well, to arrest imagination. These days when uh, the media, uh, all you need to do is to switch on the television. You have to think, just look, disengage. What Jesus wanted to do was to arrest the imagination to get us to think imaginatively. And then compelling us so that this becomes memorable. Let, let's just have an example uh, of this um, in uh, Luke's Gospel. Yes, turn to Luke chapter 18. This is, this, see if this makes sense to you. We're comparing now the way Asaph is encouraging the temple worship to think, to slow down, to take it in, in a frenetic world, just like ours. So when Jesus spoke in parables, look at this quite teasing parable. Uh, Luke 18, verse 9. Don't forget, he's talking here about prayer and saying that God's not very impressed with their prayer. Well, if this actually happened or it's, it's a parable, it's hard to say. Um, let's read it. So, um, to some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself. And look, look at the, the repeat of I, me, my, it's all about me. 
which is the blight often of people's lives. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evil, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance, wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. What's the conclusion? Okay, they've both been to church. That's pretty good. Okay, the conclusion from the perspective of Jesus is this. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's a prayer for restoration. And so often, in the parables, if you look carefully, Jesus began like this. The kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is like not the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is. It's like this to awaken, arouse imagination and cause us to think even deeper. So, if we're going to benefit from uh, this psalm, just two things. You've touched on, on this a little already. Just two things which I want to leave with you. The first is personal humility. And secondly, seek God's face. You have this idea of humility as the, turn back to the, the psalm again, uh, Psalm 80. And uh, just, just see the way that it opens up. Hear us, O shepherd of Israel, who led Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth. And this idea of shining, shining, comes out all the time. Before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh, awaken your might. Come and save us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. And you get that in verse 7 and verse 19, the same prayer mentioned. It's worth saying this that the first recorded sin in the, in the Bible is pride. And we are often affected by it. And pride is often expressed in that parable that we looked at. It's, it's my will. It's my life. It's about me. It's my plans. It's my feelings. It is very, very easy to justify our proud attitudes and actions. It is very easy to do that. Often with the little appendage to say, oh, but it's the principle. Really? Or is it wounded pride? If we are to experience restoration or renewal, whether it's personal or collectively as a church, then surely we must confess our personal sin of pride and turn back to God. The whole point of the parable of the tax collector and the sinner was this. What is the outcome? However impressed People might be publicly. What is the net result? One goes home, home self-justified. The other one goes home justified by God. 
One's pride is supreme. The other has been dealt with. What is the essence of pride? And the opposite to humility, clearly. The essence of pride is a denial of God. It is a denial, say, that God, you, you, you are in control. And surely the essence of humility is the opposite. If pride is a denial of God, surely humility is a dependence on God. A dependence on Him. The lovely way that Psalm 139 speaks about the, the glory of God, but the conclusion is quite sobering. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. My life is often shot through with unresolved anxiety. See if there is any offensive way in me. See if my life isn't blighted by pride and lead me in the way everlasting. So it's... It's this idea of praying like this. And secondly, it's seeking God's face. Now, is this either musically or theologically a variation on the same theme? Sort of, but not quite. Seeking God's face, you see there it is in verse 3, 7 and 19. There it, there it, it comes again. And the recurring prayer for restoration... And it's, it's as if the people of God need to pray like this. Turn your face again to us. Lord, turn back to your people again. Re-establish the former relationship. You know, the, the, the classic prayer of David, uh, which we looked at before, the prayer of confession. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, that which I've lost by my, my, my compromise with, with selfish uh, desires and sin. Let's just stay with this for a little moment. Seeking God's face. Obviously, prayer is a petition to God. And most of us, I, I guess, and, uh, would think that prayer, uh, seeking God's face, are the same. Now, it's a strange language to us. It is to interface. Eyeball to eyeball. To talk. To engage. Prayer, surely, is asking for something. Like, um, for wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom. It's a good prayer. Or for health, because I'm experiencing sickness. Or for finance, I, I've got uh, some issues, trouble. Or salvation for my loved ones. I have members of my family who don't know you. Or for our nation. Those are good prayers. Okay? It's asking for things. But when we are saying, seek his face, we are not essentially asking for something. We're asking for God himself. I want to know you. And what Asaf does, and he can connect with the people so easily, he borrows from uh, Numbers 6, 24-26, which we know is what's called the Aaronic Blessing, it goes like this. They would have known that because as part of their regular worship, they, it's a bit like we use the prayer of preparation. We know it without looking. And it goes like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. 
You see, he's, he's borrowed that and he says, that's it. That's where we're at. That's what we need. Be gracious to you. Lift up the light of his countenance upon you. Look, coming close and give you his peace. It's a great prayer. And that's what Asaf does. God wants us to enter in then to a new relationship with him. You know what it's like to perhaps quarrel with someone. And there's a, there's a strain. And somebody's got to approach and say, look, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean it that way. Um, can we start again? It's like that with God. God wants us to move beyond the petition stage. Ask yourself now, is your relationship with, it, with him one of asking? It's not wrong, but what sort of relationship is it that people only come to you and only ask, only want something from you? Moving from the petition stage to have an encounter, or what we would call to have communion with him, to commune with the living God. So it's more than asking for God to do something. That, I'm not saying that's wrong, but it's more than that. It is asking God to be with us. That's the whole point of, of the Christmas message, isn't it? Emmanuel, I'm with you. I'm with you. And then he says, now are you with me? Are we in this together? Asking for God's presence. It's, um, there's a lovely uh, prayer, very similar again in, in, in Psalm 27, where there's this sort of language. Of, it's like a soliloquy, talking to ourselves in a way. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face. Do you consider this idea? Don't hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger and so forth. A restored relationship. So it's not about request. It's about relationship. It's about a restored relationship. Here's a phrase that I picked up and uh, I don't know if it will come in front of you. It's a quotation. The greatest good is to know God and to be in his presence. The greatest good is to know God and to be in his presence. Or the Lord to make his face shine on us. The literal meaning of shine could be for the Lord to smile with favor. A restored relationship. It's extraordinary, really, that in this psalm, these what's called stanzas have this strong image. It's the shepherd of the flock, verses 1 to 3. It's the bread of tears, 4 to 7. However, the dominant theme is the vine, which is, symbolizes the covenant with God's people. One final cross-reference in, um, I don't think this is in the notes, it might be, uh, Isaiah 5. Just try to think about 
the vine as it symbolizes a nation. It's brought, the Lord's brought out this vine from, um, out of Pharaoh's domain in Egypt. And there's a song. It's the song of the vineyard. It should be a very beautiful song, but it's all gone sour. The relationship should be sweet, but it's become embittered. So in Isaiah 5, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. This is highly symbolic language. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad or actually bitter. You couldn't drink it, couldn't do anything with it. And then the song unfolds. It's a great start, but it's a disappointing finish. It should be sweet grapes, but now it's sour grapes. And the sour grapes becomes proverbial of his rebellious people. So, I challenge you as we conclude. Now, there's a lot more we could say about, about this psalm. Own this prayer. Try to have a little exercise yourself and, and make a list of all these illustrations that are used. Or metaphors, as we call them here. And I challenge you to own this prayer and try to live it out. Yeah, at school, or at home, or in society, wherever we find ourselves this week. And... and Look at the, the way there's a play on words here. Look at verse 14. Return to us, O God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine. Don't let me become embittered like the song of the vineyard. Promised so much and produced very little. Looked impressive, but was embittered. Own this prayer, live it out, and actually long for its fulfillment. And just as Asaph borrows that uh, blessing of the priest, which was exclusive to the Aaronic priesthood, he says, this is for God's people. Let's take it up. Now then, what is it then? Well, let's be a blessing, so that the people whom we rub shoulders with have an encounter with us because of our relationship with God and we bless them. Say to people, the Lord bless you and keep you. What a wonderful thing. In the priesthood of all believers, we are a restored people and we are a blessing to the people that we live with and work with. And so, verse 3, Restore us again. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. You have it again in verse 7. 
And you have it then finally in verse 19. Restore us, O Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. Now what a difference that's going to make for us and for sure the people whom we encounter this week. Maybe they might notice something of the blessing of God, a fresh encounter with him that takes us into this week. Knowing his smile, knowing the favor of God and his blessing. We're going to pray before we sing our final hymn. Let's do that.